Hey, everybody. I wrote a book. I'm super excited and I'd love for you to check it out. No Longer Denying Sexual Abuse, Making the Choices That Can Change Your Life is now available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Goodreads, anywhere that you read a book. So please check it out. And I've also launched my 21-week series, No Longer Abused, which is free. All you have to do is buy a copy of the book. For more information, go to nolongerdenyingsexualabuse.com and sign up for one or all of the 21-week series. And now, on to our guest. I'm a writer. I love writers and I coach writers. So it makes sense that I'd interview writers from all areas, blogging, TV, film, songwriting, podcasting, but also the new writers, the first timers that did it, that took the plunge because at one point they heard from someone, you should write a book about that. The main focus of leadership coach Tanya Geisler's work is with the imposter complex. Now, come on, don't act like you don't have one. We all do. Even the most accomplished of us have a voice that tells us we need to do more. We need to work harder. We need to be better. And today we're going to talk about how Tanya landed on this work and what has come up for her in trying to write the book she has not written yet. (laughs) Hi, Tanya. It's so wonderful to have you here. Delighted to be here. You are such a straight shooter. Such mad respect. Such respect. Seriously. Love it. So I took your iconic quiz this morning and what came up for me was CEO, which did not surprise me. It's a great... Anybody. It's a great quick quiz, you know, and it sort of invites the participant to book a call with you, which is, I think, really exciting. Did you just say that most people come up with the CEO that do the quiz? No, I would say visionary comes up a lot for my folks. I'm 0% surprised that CEO came up for you. You like that straight shooter, you know, you know what you like. I, You're very decisive. I love it. I love it. And a lot of times CEOs can be perfectionists, right? So (laughs) you have this beautiful value of excellence. And that's really my joy is to help people. We want to make ourselves so wrong, right? So I'm a host. Right. And to be a people pleaser. Yeah. So like, yeah, makes me a fantastic host. I'm a fantastic host. I gather people with care and enthusiasm and everybody feels included. It's a beautiful thing. So I digress. Yeah. No, CEO, totally see that. A lot of my folks are visionaries, CEOs, hosts, a lot of healers and a lot of healers. Yeah. A lot of healers. Well, I, you know, was already experiencing the FOMO of what I wasn't. And now that you're saying that there was a vision, I want to be a vision. Like, why am I a CEO? CEO felt very, but then as I started to explore it more, it's true. Like if something great happens for me, say in business or personal, I immediately am filled with this fear that I will not know how to capitalize on it. And I will be the chump that misses the opportunity. And like, everybody's like, you didn't make that into something. And I'm like, nope, just spent the day doing laundry. Feel that. I just, you know, I I created the quiz because I'm in the self-development space. You know, you're in the self-development space in lots of ways. It's a $42 billion industry. And I got really tired of the way that we make people feel crappy about themselves for having these 
deep values of excellence, like the CEO, or even the, you know, the people pleasing comes down to my beautiful value of inclusivity. And I want people to feel cared for. You know, if you end up with a maven, it's because you've got this gorgeous value of connection that sometimes can tip over into comparison. So the idea of the quiz is to stop gaslighting ourselves for stop being a perfectionist. Actually, can we just embrace the fact that Kim is here for excellence? Hello, snap, snap, (laughs) snaps, right? But if you are also the perfectionist, sometimes it means that you don't ship. So when we sink into that gorgeous, iconic identity of CEO, CEOs ship, they get it done, right? They make sure that they've got the best people around them and they get it done. So anyway, that's for you to be looking at in terms of your organization and getting that kind of support. I am. I mean, I'm a big, big vision thinker, you know, but I do think that And this is, I hear this a lot from women who own businesses. And I go to a lot of networking events like you, and I know a lot of like really top notch women that are slaying it out there. A lot of my book clients who are, who have made that plunge for like, they've signed up for a year. They've said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make this happen. And then there's this feeling that like last minute, they personally are going to sabotage it. What do you call that? I mean, I call it, you know, actually what I call that is that fear of success. So my real body of work, of course, is in the imposter complex, as you named. And what that comes down to is an intrinsic and really tribal need to belong. So Mm. our fear of failure is as palpable as our fear of success, because if we are way out behind or way out in front, then we're going to be othered from the crowd. Whoa, that's really deep. I hadn't like, you're going to get picked off in the back or you're going to be alone in the front. So you might as well just stay in the middle and the whole time going, God, I feel like I'm more than this. Yes, 100%. Though that's the that's the reason we're going to cap ourselves because we, we know that this it doesn't feel safe. It doesn't feel safe to be the first out in front. You know, you've got the target on your back out there. So yeah, or we feel, you know, what got me here won't get me there because what got me here was proximity to people and connection with people. And for me to do what I need to do, I'm going to have to become this different person. I'm going to have to become a variation of myself that I don't want to be. I'm going to have to disconnect from the people who have made me who I am. And I believe at the base, like our most common shared value is that of connection. So usually this fear of success has everything to do with feeling that it's going to mean that we're going to have to disconnect. It's a big stuff. That's big. You know, that's that's really, really big. So tell me a little bit about, let's talk about you as a child, but tell me a little bit. So when you were raised, were you told to be in the back, the front? Were you told to just be happy in the middle? What were you, what messaging were you given? Because we often are the experts of what we've surmounted. Yes, yes, yes. The, what is it? Bishop T.D. Jake says, your your ministry is where your misery has been. And I say it also your joy. So I was one of these extraordinarily fortunate humans who had just really epic parents. I really did. They're both past now. But my mom used to say to me, she used to say, Tanya, you are going to set the world on fire. I mean, so beautiful, right? So beautiful. and, And such a profound acknowledgement of what she saw in me. And... It's a blessing and a curse, right? That's what I was going to say. It's like, because what happens if then you don't set the world on fire? And what is right. what is the fire? 
Yeah, I'm 50 years old. And I'm like, I don't know. Am I doing it now? Am I doing it now? Now? Like, I don't know. So yeah, I mean, it was always intended in this like incredibly aspirational, like I see so much on your behalf. So really, I've always been attracted to and interested in potential and whatever that feels like, looks like. And with my clients, I try to give it much more context and form and function because otherwise it's just like, ah, Um, and of course, you know, Bethany Webster's done some big work in the mother wound. So you can imagine that there's been a little bit of like, I don't even know what to do with this, but the intention is palpable, right? Like it was very clear. So to be certain that has been, that has very much informed the way that I see the world and the way I see the power of recognizing what is available and again, giving it a little bit more form, a little more function. And I love that with your work, the book is the expression of that. Mm-hmm. One of the expressions of that bigness, right? This beautiful way to contain thought scholarship, thought leadership in this really powerful, visible, gorgeous way. So that's what I'm very drawn to. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, writing is really what's coming out of us that is there to be expressed from our hearts that we tend to discount because we think, oh, you know, I didn't like sign up to write about that. I am this, like you have to understand, I am this and I'm going to write about that. And then I'm like, okay, that book's going to be like, uh, you know, a decent eh, book. But what happens if like you set the world on fire with that book? And that's always the one that people just go, ooh, I don't know. You know, that sounds kind of risky. Like, and even then, how does one push forward in the idea of success like someone comes to you, they're in that sort of chasm of belief. Is it possible for them to just still believe in success, even in that turmoil? Yeah. I mean, yes, I believe so. And because it's so amorphous, you know, my friend Stacy breaks it down. She said, you know, the, she was talking about the work that I do. Um, and she said, one of the most powerful ways that Tanya, that I personally coach is by being able to name the possibility, like craft and help to curate what what is possible with some form, with some function, then actually looping it into the capabilities that are here, right? So it's not just about the magical thinking. It's not all about the magical thinking. It's that here's the proof of all that you need to be able to step fully into that and then the accountability. So there's that's the you know, there's the possibility, the capability and the accountability. And I think that that is a really powerful triumvirate that you just, that you need. And it's not for everyone, right? I mean, right. it's the that not everybody is going to write a book. Not like not everybody, everybody has a book. I believe everybody has a book within, within them, but not everybody's going to step up and meet that. Yes, exactly. So let's talk about what did you do professionally before you started coaching? Because you haven't been a coach since you were like 20 or anything, right? Well, somebody reached out to me fairly recently that I knew like in grade three. And she was like, the least surprising thing in my life is that you are a coach (laughs) because you were coaching me back in grade three. So apparently (laughs) I've always been coaching. That's fantastic. Right? 17 years I've been doing this work actually. Wow. And I was in advertising before that. And you know, I was good at it. I was really good at it. There's a, a great story about just that moment where I recognized that this isn't this isn't it. This isn't it. This isn't like feed my soul. It was, you know, great clients, great people, great team, but you just I have the sense that there's no way. It wasn't even my mom like, 
are you setting the world on fire now? Because I knew that I was doing the best that I possibly could, but I definitely got that. I don't think that my, I was here to create a better mousetrap. Like I just didn't feel like that's what I was here for. Right. That's great. I mean, advertising, I mean, it's not a huge parlay in terms of like, you know, helping people package themselves and understand who they are as a self product. I mean, I came from the movies, so it's not that far a parlay for me to be like, and now you're going to entertain and inspire people in a, yeah. in, in a book. And we just have to find the different space that we feel most comfortable moving in. And you landed in that for the last 17 years. Tell me about your most challenging client. Like specifically, you don't have to use their exact name, but tell me about someone that just, I'm curious about someone that you just couldn't move the needle. And this is no reflection on your coaching. No, it's just I like I just got I felt the big flush because it's this well like if I actually feel viscerally that kind of heartbreak of when they really 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 want to walk over that bridge and just can't and it's very rare it's very rare that they just walk that bridge over the fear and it just it's a heartbreak and you can only want it so much on somebody else's behalf, you know, like, yes, like, like, I actually feel really emotional about things. I've had those moments where it's like, I just, I, and I, as a coach, you know, you have to self-manage and you can't simply can't want it more than them. Sometimes you do, right. You just can't. And those are the heartbreak moments where it's just like, oh man, like we're just, and so I tend as a, as a coach, I don't work with a ton of people. So I have lots, I mean, I have a program, but if people really find that they're stuck or they're qualifying events that show up in their lives, like, of course, there's lots more space, but sometimes you just, you know, people will just hit that wall and we'll just have to pause the work. And I always think of it as they'll come back. Right to the tools or they'll come back to something and you just, just have to just have to let, let that go. So, I mean, honestly, uh, it, you really caught me off guard with that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But I, I think it's important that with the work you do and with this conversation that we know that there are people that can't actually, that aren't ready in the moment. And I, I've seen that like you very rarely with books. I can count on one hand, the people have signed on with me and aborted early on after the outline day or too much stuff came up or or didn't finish their book and i'm literally like how can you not fit how can you get so close and there's i can't force them to the finish line once yeah it's painful and so i feel like that for me like that's the part that i can take on for myself is that that self management piece which is such a skill in in coaching to be able to say like I know it's just these three pieces. We just need to put them in place. But if you don't want that, then okay. Then I have to just not even walk away. I'll just stand back over here. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so it's really, that's really, really, really tricky stuff for me. So I think that that is like, that's the part that I can own is like the, the wanting it. That can be a heartbreak. It can be a heartbreak. So let's talk about, you know, writing books. And you have writer in your bio, I noticed. So you're positioned to be one. I am positioned. Yeah. So does doing it perfectly hold you back? I mean, listen, you know, you're talking about the kind of expertise. I didn't go looking for this nonsense. I did not go looking to be an expert in the imposter complex. This kid, this stuck him looking at me. So I call myself 
a reluctant expert in the imposter complex, meaning <laughs> you know, I have to like come up against this crap all the time and talk about imposter complex about writing about the imposter complex. That's so meta. It just, I cannot even, I cannot even. So yeah, there's a fair bit of perfectionism that comes in, but I would say more than anything else, if you've been at something for as long as I have in the study of something, as long as I've been without being a, you know, a clinical researcher, I've been talking about this for 10 years. What I would have said 10 years ago, the book I would have written 10 years ago is not the same book that I'm writing now. So there's a way in which, you know, like there's probably four, there are probably four different books that I would have written in, in that period of time because I used to see things. I used to have this clever little bit, do you know, um, remember the movie, my big fat Greek wedding. Uh huh. So the dad used to, didn't matter what the word was, he'd be able to bring it back to the Greek origins of whatever that word was. I would do the same with the imposter complex. I literally saw absolutely everything through the lens of the imposter complex. And you couldn't, you just couldn't move me off of that. I wasn't really thinking 10 years ago as much about, you know, systemic oppression and how the imposter complex affects different people at different intersections. So there's a way in which there's a reductive quality to a lot of my earlier work that, you know, I certainly have a lot more context and nuance and bring tons more discernment into it now. So it's really just the deepening, the deeper I go into this work, the more complex and layered it becomes and more fascinating. So that's part of the reason my book is 15 books in one. I know I keep, I'm hyperbolic. I said four a couple of minutes ago. Now it's 15. I know. I'm just watching you just build this sort of wall around the possibilities right before us right now. I mean, you've given, and, and the, and the irony is, is everything you've said is all reasons you should write the book. But it's interesting you see them as reasons to not. There's too many books. The things I saw 10 years ago don't apply anymore. I, 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 I There's so much reason. Now there's new ideas. There's new thought process. How can it all be? And it's the overwhelm and the spin. And really all that stuff, when it's culminated into one sort of resounding viewpoint or theme, makes the book have a heft that when people read the lines, they can feel everything that you bring to the table. You don't have to literally tell them 19, you know, 97, I landed upon this, I landed upon that. It's in it. The spirit is there. I mean, you have the spirit within to write about this subject. And I think too, which is really something I find a lot with people, is you're very convinced that this is what you're supposed to write about. And the truth is that you can start writing about it and find out there's another variation of what you're supposed to write about that isn't so directly on point. 100%. And actually, that's the nut that I've been working on cracking. I won't get into it. I have probably about three or four different frameworks that I use in my work. And I keep trying to collapse them in some neat like little package <laughs> of the book. And then I realized none of these will sit on top of themselves because there is a there's a fulcrum to my work that's kind of like, um, I don't even know what it's called, but like the middle of the Rubik's Cube from which everything turns. And I realized that I've been trying to flatten this very dynamic aspect. It's like, oh, no, that's the book. So right. when I landed on that about three weeks ago, it's been, it's been, yeah, guns a blazing. So, it's been, so I, I'm very, I am very excited. And not surprisingly, the last person would be surprised would be you. I realized that what I named the first time I ever publicly talked about the imposter complex was my TEDx talk 10 years ago. 
And the seed from that is really the epicenter of this all of the work. So the book I would have written 10 years ago might have missed some of the layers and the nuance that I appreciate now, mm-hmm. but it really the nub was the same. So, you know, not surprising. I love it. I have not heard fulcrum used before. That was a good word. Good. So if you could give one short walkaway piece of advice to anybody that feels that they're worthy of more, but they're not able to access it, what would you tell them? Whether it's to write a book, whether it's to get rid of their imposter syndrome, whether it's, you know, it's, it's just a feel good. Uh, I don't know. I just like what came up very viscerally was trust what you want. Like just trust what you want. If this, if it's the book, if it's to see your name on the spine of a book, like trust that we make ourselves so wrong for our wants. And we're so conditioned to not have or be allowed to have our wants that just trust it and allow yourself to see where that goes. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I know even for myself, I think we chase some of these like traditional, conventional models of relationships, say, for example, like romantic relationships. Like this is the traditional romantic relationship that one should have. And then we feel that that's not working. And then we go try another one. And that's really not in our wheelhouse, but we convince ourselves that that's the one. And then eventually we, we, we find one that works. And I think that that can be applied to clients that we want to work with. I think that can be applied to friends that we want to hang out with. A lot of times we think, well, if I'm, if I'm just better, then this would work out. Mm. And you know what? Sometimes. You're as good as you're ever going to be in that situation. And you might just need to like walk away. That's what I found. Yes. Can I tack on one thing too? Yes. And then I want you to tell me your story. You told oh, me yeah. about. So you should write a book about that. I love that with the fire of a thousand sun. It's so clear. <laughs> we get it. Like it is so good. And I think that there's such a, and you named it too, when we start writing the book, it might not be the book that we think that we're going to be writing. I think it's trusting in that too. So when someone says, you should write a book about that, trust how your response is to that. If it feels like a should, if it feels like a lot of like, you're going to set the world on fire. If it feels like a very pressure filled kind of projecting kind of energy, it might not be yours. It might be the book they're supposed to write about too, right? hundred percent. And the story that I'm going to tell you is very aspirational in in that somebody basically said, you should write a book about that. And I was like, and it just really lifted me up as opposed to feeling like this very pressured kind of, you know, projecting kind of thing. Okay. Here's my story. I'll make this as brief as possible. So it was, we were on the end of a family road trip and, you know, we've been in the car, like we've spent three weeks in the car together. Like we were done. We had run out of things to say. It was like a rainy drive up through Maine to the Quebec border. And uh, and we hadn't said anything for a while. So I was just looking out the window and I was just thinking about, when am I going to get the book done? When am I going to get the book done? Can I get it done this quarter? Can it like, I was book, 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 book. And we get to this tiny little outpost, customs outpost between Quebec and, and Maine. And it's one of the, it's such a small little outpost that like there was like a little, I don't know, sentry hut here. And the uh, customs official came around, my husband who was driving, she came around and, and talked to him and did all the requisite, you know, any alcohol, how long you were gone, blah, 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 all the stuff. I'm in Canada, just so you know. 
So she was asking him all the questions. I wasn't really paying attention, still looking out the window, thinking about my book. And then she <laughs> said, uh, excuse me, ma'am, snaps at me. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, what? She looked at me like this, Kim. She looked at me like this, right in my eyes. Biggest eyes I've ever seen. When are you going to write the book? No, you're you're kidding. No, no, no. no. I, I believe it. I believe oh it. Oh my god, a hundred percent. I said, I said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What? And she said, the book. When are you going to write the book? We're waiting for it. No. She waves Greg through. I still have chills. When I tell that, that was one of your book fairies. That was one of your. Oh my god, that was someone that came through like from the alternate universe that 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 had already read your book and you had changed your life and she was something else some other time. That's a gorgeous story, and you're such a beautiful storyteller. I mean, the descriptives that you use, the fire of a thousand suns, is going to be something <laughs> I'm going to say now for the rest of my life. But I just wanted to say that. I have had clients sign on with me because they had book, 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 and they parked their car at a restaurant and the valet, I kid you not, said, when are you going to write that book? And they were like, I don't even like, I've never even been here. The guy was like, he barely spoke English. Like it was such a trip. And they're like, I knew I, I was like, I, I surrender. And they like called up. They're like, I just hired a book coach based on like a valet. And I'm like, yeah, but it's not the valet. It's the 7 million thoughts. The valet is just a voice person who like shapeshifted or who knows what happened in this like wild world we live in. But it's true. I've I've heard all kinds of stories like that, that people just show up and like look you in that eye and say, unreal, unreal. And of course, so of course, the, the dedication page is the only thing in the book that's actually complete, right? That's the one thing. And because the people who are listening right now are all looking for reasons to write or not write the book. Can we also acknowledge that if they're listening to this and like, well, I haven't had anybody tell me that I, that, that they were waiting for my book. I haven't had a valet or customs official. If it is your book to write, you have had tens of thousands other little winks that maybe you have not been paying attention to. I love that. That's so true. That is so true. Or just go park your car and go cross a border and see like what might happen. I mean, Border. Hey, I will always celebrate somebody going Vermont, Quebec. It is a beautiful drive. Beautiful drive. <laughs> Loving it. I've been wanting to go to Quebec for my whole life. So I might be having lunch with you at some time soon. Well, this has been an amazing conversation. I've I've loved it. It's rich and full of so many nuggets and and fulcrums and fires and all sorts of things. And so <laughs> thank you so much for coming on. Totally my joy. Thank you so much for the honor. I know how much you, your work is powerful. We share clients. Like I know your work and I love how much you love on behalf of your listeners too. So thank you. Thank you. Honored to be here. Thank you. You've been listening to, you should write a book about that. We love reviews. If you enjoyed our show, head over to your platform of choice to drop a review, share with a friend, or even better, if you want to write a book, be in touch. You can find us at kimohara.com.